Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Brett. How are you? Back to school. Back to school. We are recording this in August and uh, just got back from dropping my kids to school. And I don't mean... Just drop them. Drop them, yes. Just Co- them. College. We're talking about college. So. Them to, did you stop the car before you let them Yeah, out, we or? just, they rolled. It was right. a stop, drop, and roll. Welcome back. Thanks. Look refreshed. Welcome back to you. I know you had moving as well. I did. For college. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, good luck to all those Bast and Amron kids out there. And all, the, the, all and, of them. And the, mo- <laughs> and the moms. <laughs> Shout out to Jolly and Lauren for doing all the hard work. So today we have a special guest. Are you aware of that? I actually am. All right. I see him right there. (laughs) Jim Bennett. Jim is a certified public accountant, and he has over three decades of experience in both public and private industry finance and accounting. His experience is extensive. He worked in big four accounting firms. He's making his way up to an audit manager at Deloitte, and he also has held roles as a chief financial officer, as a controller, and as a business owner. And in fact, in 2005, Jim founded a company called Now CFO in Salt Lake City, Utah. And Now CFO is an accounting firm that provides outsourced CFO, controller, and staff accountant services for a broad range of industries across the country. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that today. So welcome, Jim. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be part of this. Great. So Jim, are, are you from Salt Lake originally? I grew up in Idaho, actually. I grew up, my father was a dairy farmer. Nice. And uh, so I grew up in, uh, yeah, doing small farm, small farm work. So good things. Great. I learned a lot. As on the farm, working on the farm? Can you? Yeah. My dad uh, gave me my first entrepreneurial experience. He helped me rent 30 acres. And so for three years, I got to have my own little business of 30 acres of land and and, uh, you know, the funny, so the first year I made money, the second year I broke even, the third year I lost all the money I made the first year. So that was my introduction. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a true entrepreneur's journey. <laughs> yeah. Now, when was that? How old were you? were you? Is this why you were in high school or after school? Or Yeah, high school, kind of 15 to 18. Yeah. Wow. So you were running a farm 30 acres while you were 15 years old. Wow. Well, I had a lot of coaching. So, so what were you, uh, you was, know, it dad, also, was it also a dairy farm? Or is it a different kind of farm? So no, I just I just raised crops. I just mm-hmm. I just raised alfalfa and barley, and uh, yeah. But it was a great experience. So Dad asked me all the right questions at the right time, so I didn't make any real mistakes. Uh-huh. But you're subject to price movement of crops and everything, and production and yeah. yields. And I learned a lot. So at the end of year three, you decided that farming wasn't for you, or was it? Uh, were you ready for? Years five through or four through uh, infinity. Well, so my parents sat me down. My mother was a school teacher, and uh, dad said, Let's make the dairy farm bigger. And mom said, Why don't you do something that's uh, a little more reliable? Maybe go be an accountant or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I, dad was upset. I, I took mom's advice and, and I said, Where should I go to school? And she has a no. She said, I have no idea. Just find a school that'll take you. right right. right. so yeah wow Wow. and so yeah i was going to ask you about the transition from growing up on a dairy farm having that experience of operating your own farm and then going to college and studying 
business accounting and moving into that. Can you talk a little bit about that that journey and that transition? Yeah, so that was that was a great thing. So I, I ended up at Utah State University. And then from there, I was able to land a job with Deloitte in Los Angeles. And as I got to Deloitte, I was, I was on the audit side. They call that assurance now. And it was fascinating to me, not the audit work, but why companies, how companies got large enough to need an outside auditor. And then you got to look at why the bankers were requiring an audit or you got to work on a public company. And then as I spent more years there, it started, I started to realize that there were a lot of companies that could use big company consulting, but they didn't have the money to pay for it. And it needed to be, we needed to bring the knowledge, but at a different price point. And that's just kind of what led me to start now CFO. And um, I actually have some other service companies, but it's really about helping them professionalize their business. Now this, when you say them, you're talking about business owners, small business owners that don't yeah. meet the criteria. They're not publicly traded, or maybe they don't have the level of financing that requires audited financials. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And so we work with companies from a couple million in revenue, usually clear up to a hundred million, some a few bigger, some a few smaller, but most of these companies are like 10 to 50 million in revenue and they're really great companies. They're usually family owned or closely held and they've done some really magnificent things, but they tend to get kind of trapped in that they don't know what is the next step if they want to get bigger or how would they even exit or can we pass this business to the kids? And the finance side really starts to drive how all of that works as you hit a certain size, whether it's scale or exit or whatever. And we really want to help them bring those processes kind of to the forefront and get better at those and get the right people in place. And we're project driven. We're not auditors, but we bring all that knowledge and expertise. So the whole idea is if you wanted a CFO, but you can't afford one, could you afford some of their hours every month? And my business is not made up of contractors. I actually hire these people. They're on my payroll full time and give them benefits, all the things that accounting types like finance types like, but then we, uh, basically sell their time as we go. And it, it works really well. Most of them have a handful of clients and people buy all their knowledge. They just don't buy all the time. So small, I'm a small business owner. You know, if I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I'm listening to the podcast. I'm thinking, you know, I think, I don't know if I need one. I'm not sure. When would you suggest or who would you suggest would really benefit from your services? Wow, that's a great question. So almost everyone has a tax person we don't do taxes. We don't push to do that. Keep your tax person. You trust them. But tax people aren't really geared to come and help you every week or every month, close the books. And our goal is really just visibility to your business. Visibility, metrics. So we start with month end close. Then we start with a little bit of budgeting or forecasting, cost accounting, some of the things that aren't very sexy or very fun to do, but they're really critical to being able to make the right decisions. And we, we help a lot of people build cash forecasts, things like that. And so when you're sick of it on a Sunday night and you're supposed to be spending time with your loved ones, then we could help you with some bookkeeping. And as your business grows, then maybe as you get two or three people doing your accounting, let them be specialists like payables and payroll. 
receivables, invoicing, collections. Well, who really closes the books? Who really says, hey, how'd we do? Can we do that timely? Those kinds of things. And there's there's a moment where it makes sense and you're frustrated with it. Most of our clients have done it themselves for years and good for them. But at some point, there are other things you can do that are more valuable. Right. And that, and these are these are companies all over the country or what's the geographics? Yeah, so... So I have 53 offices now. I'm over, I'm about 540 full-time employees. Wow. We're in 25 states. We're not everywhere, but we're in a lot of places. And then some of what we'd like to do is we do this needs analysis. We call it a whiteboard meeting. We just go to a board and we talk about kind of where the, give us some background on the business. Talk about the opportunities you see. Talk about some of your pain points. And then we'll tell you, if we can help solve those problems or not. And if we're not a good fit, we'll direct you to where that would be a good, you know, somebody that could really help you solve those things. I don't know. I've lived this just like every other business owner. And, and uh, that's our approach. It's not to be salesy. Our approach is to be, can we, can we bring you solutions at a price point that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So, and how'd you get, you said you started this company in 05. It was just you or did you have a yeah, core of people? And you've Just grown me. to now 540 employees and 53 offices. That is remarkable growth. Well, and I was, so, so I'm very fortunate. Yeah, so I started out, it was me. I had $12,000 in savings. <laughs> I had five little kids. My youngest child was one. My oldest wow. was 12. My wife was grumpy because she said, do you finally have a job that actually makes sense? And I said, well, I don't like that job. And I said, I'm going to go find clients. And uh, she said, I'll make this for cable TV. She said, you better not bleep this up. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's like, you got kids and a mortgage. And there's nothing like some positive pressure like that. (laughs) And, And I thought if I could get it to work in Utah, that it would probably work in other places. And then I was fortunate and found a guy in Utah that wanted to move home to Dallas and that office worked. And then I had a few offices that failed, honestly, and it almost put me out of business. I don't have outside investors. I don't have outside money. And I've also never made an acquisition. So we'll just choose a city or someone will need to move there. And then we just go there and go to work. So how do you, how do you choose that? Is that the client coming to you or you see a need or a fit in a particular location and say, we're going we're gonna to go there and we're going to try and make it work? So we do both. So I've had uh, an opportunity where we'll get a client in a city. So let's take Atlanta as an example. So Atlanta is, that's kind of a central hub to a lot of things in the Southeast, I think is a fair assessment. And so we went to Atlanta and said, we want to be in Atlanta because it touches a lot of things. And so we hired a team and, and uh, went to work there and always working on sales and and then we start to bring on the accountants, that kind of thing. Other thing, like I'm in Ohio, so I had a great salesperson in in Tennessee, and her and her fiance needed to go to Ohio, so we helped relocate them, and now we've got business in Ohio. So it happens a lot of different ways, but we have a list of cities that we're interested in going to, and mm-hmm. if it fits, we go. Now, is it is it portable like that so that an accountant or professional in Tennessee can just pick up and move to Ohio? I mean, they have to be licensed in Ohio or? Yeah, the CPA world, we're not a CPA firm. Right. And so we're not, we're not held by the CPA firm requirements. We don't do audits. 
we do audit prep, we don't do taxes, we clean up messes. And so because of that, we're not, we're not restricted by those rules. But probably about 80, 85% of my workforce are CPAs. Is there a technology platform that you, you guys use or you require a client to sign on to and use? We have a project management time tracking software that we use for our clients to be able to make sure they can monitor what we do mm-hmm. as far as accounting systems and ERP systems, any of that. No, we're, we're agnostic to the systems because systems are expensive to put in. Let's, let's just get more out of them. That's, this isn't about replacing systems. We don't sell software. We're happy to work on QuickBooks. We're happy to work on bigger ERPs. Whatever can maxim, let's just maximize its value for you. So, a lot of times it's a training issue. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, so does that require, at least on the uptick for a particular client, if they have an ERP or, or some program that maybe you guys haven't seen or someone hasn't seen before, some sort of training, or do you guys sort of preempt that and look to the, you know, the ones that are being used the most and get some training on those and knowledge on those before it may come up with a particular client? Well, in the early days, it was tougher, right? But now that we have so many people, especially if our client is willing to use somebody maybe in another city, we usually can match somebody up to the industry who's used the ERP system. Mm -hmm. Not always. There's a lot of ERPs out there. But fortunately for us, ERPs usually are written with similar logic, and we can get up to speed pretty quickly. And yeah, again, the goal is visibility to your business. If you can get better visibility, you can make better decisions. So you've mentioned, I'm really uh, fascinated by this growth because it's really impressive. You mentioned that some of it's been people moving one city to another. Others have been, you've decided strategically to open another location. So when you choose a location like Atlanta, you said, how do you find professionals on, a, on the ground there that fit culturally with your company? Because I know that that's a hard modification to, you know, to make yeah. for a lot of companies is when they expand to new cities is finding a cultural fit. Yeah. So full disclosure is I would prefer to relocate someone because they already understand our culture yeah. and our approach to business. If we're unable to do that. So we have an re- internal recruiting team and we have a set of criteria. The one thing, and I don't want any young people to be insulted. We don't hire people right out of school we seldom would hire anybody under 10 years of experience. And a lot of my people have 20 to 30 years of experience. So we're looking for people that have, you know, much like my background. Hey, you went to a, you worked at a great CPA firm. You learned how they do it. Now you've spent time in industry. You understand what it's like on both sides of that table, whether you're audited or you're trying to get it done day to day, what KPIs look like. And then we're looking for a person with a little personality. CPAs aren't, we're not really known for our personalities. Now, we're not going to be like somebody that would be on TV, but somebody that can communicate and uh, enjoys people a little bit. And that's who we bet on. And sometimes it works. And uh, hey, it's, we don't bat a thousand, but yeah. uh, we work really hard. And we built extensive training on how to do this, how to go get clients, and also how to run your practice. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate of training. It's, It's the best investment. Probably the highest ROI you can have is building training that does it your way. So do you, I know you started obviously in Salt Lake and have grown uh, spread spread across 53 cities, was it? Yeah. In 25 states. 
is Utah your largest concentration of people in office or? No. So Utah has our headquarters. Mm -hmm. So we do have a number of people at headquarters, but Dallas is our largest office. Portland second. Wow. Uh, we do a lot of work in Southern California. I mean, and some of that is just history. I focused more in the Western U.S. when I started, but we were seeing really nice growth in the Southeast and and really all across the country. And it we just attribute that really to our training program. And uh, the other thing is, I don't do one and done training. <laughs> If you're in leadership or sales in my in my company, you're going to be in training every week in perpetuity. So we spend 60 to 90 minutes in training. And we also have the peers teach each other. It's not me teaching it. They learn and care more about what a peer says than what I say. And uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. In fact, if anybody wants to talk about how to build a training process or a training program, I'd love to talk to them because it changed everything for me. Yeah. I was actually just about to ask you that. How do you build it? You said, you know, you mentioned the importance of building a training program. How how does one go about doing that? Because, you know, there's a lot you can't teach just accounting in general, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. We don't, we buy the technical training. So there's plenty of folks that provide technical training, I'm a CPA, right? So that was the last thing that I I didn't I was never trained as to do sales or business development. So my COO and I, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, she came up through the sales side. Wonderful, wonderful person, and we spent five or six hours every Sunday for almost a year trying to build a process of training. And then ultimately, we brought in a consultant that showed us some things that they had done in the insurance industry that helped us with tracking activity. And then we tested it. And uh, it's funny, it was about 100 pages. We thought we killed ourselves. That same manual, seven or eight years later, is 300 pages, (laughs) very dialed in. So their first few days of work here is building out a framework of that manual. And then we really live that manual. It's our DNA. So, yeah, it's so interesting. So most of your training is on, training for your people is on sales and operations of the business as opposed to the substantive technical side of things. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, but you can, you can get technical training pretty inexpensively, but sales, leadership, and operations, those are the things that we each do our own way, each business. Those are the things you need to build. That's, we call it getting the magic out of your head and on paper, and then you turn it into training modules. But like I said, I can't say enough about training. Changed my world, helped me build a sales team. Then it changed everything in operations. And it just continued to have massive benefits, massive payback. Well, I'd imagine it also, you know, uniformity is another one of the benefits because if everyone's trained in the same manner, then at least you have some consistency in the delivery of, you know, your, your workflows. Yeah. So one of the things I didn't realize, you know, people talk about culture. <laughs> it was it was just me and a few people. And it was like, go work hard. We'll be fine. When, when we started to spread out geographically, training to your point, you know, we're all, we're all approaching things the same way and it becomes a huge builder of a culture. So, you know, there's, we have a bunch of acronyms that are just ours and different things that have evolved over the years. It's almost like we speak our own language we approach things the same way. 
there's room for style. There has to be room for everyone's style. We're all individuals, but it's really been the driver to a culture. And I never imagined that. I'm a, I'm a dumb accountant. I was just doing spreadsheets. <laughs> well, I think you've gone far beyond that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, kudos to you for building that framework and that structure because as you grow and as you open more offices and as you add more people outside of headquarters, you know, it just becomes harder and harder to maintain that culture, to maintain the precision of your business and what you do. Absolutely, it does. But if you, that's why training and process in small bites, 30 minutes of self-study, 30 minutes of workshopping, and you remember so much better. You know, when I was at the big firm, bless them for doing training, but, you know, they would put us in a room for three to five days. And by 10 o'clock, everyone had checked out. You weren't paying attention anymore. And I think that's just human nature. But if you do it a little bit at a time, and Mm -hmm. I tell everybody, look, this is about your career, whether you stay with us or not. If you will invest in this, whatever you invest, you will get many fold back. And so if you if you skirt around it, you're not going to get much. If you will invest some time, you will you will get huge dividends. Yeah. You know, speaking of the big, you know, the big four accounting firms, not not that you're that big, but 540, you're a pretty sizable consulting firm. That's what's the structure? Is yours hierarchical? Do you have managers like a an accounting firm might have and partners or are you the only partner yeah. that has a work? So very, very similar to an accounting firm as far as our structure. So we are a partnership. We're not a franchise. People often ask me if we're a franchise. Honestly, we we might do some things like a franchise would do, but we're a partnership because, like I said, 80, 85% of our people are CPAs. That's the structure they came from. That's what they're comfortable with. And so I'm the general partner. We have partners in each city. That partner runs their city. We also have market presidents. It's just like that tiering, you know, so we have, we have consultants, we have directors, we have market presidents, we have partners, and uh, it's just worked really well. I wish I could tell you I drew that up on a, on a board the day I started. I did not, but it's evolved to that. And uh, I think we have right around 40 partners. Some mm. partners run more than one city, mm-hmm. and, uh, but it's great. And they, they are wonderful people. They work really hard and and uh, they just do the right things. They take care of their clients and they treat them the way they want to be treated. Is there any industry that, you know, for your clientele that, that makes more sense for you guys or that you target? Or is it really industry agnostic? It's mostly industry agnostic. You know, the funny thing, the industry we've worked the least in is banking for some reason. Mm. I don't know if we just don't have the specialists. But, you know, if you go across the firm, Right now, we're serving about a thousand clients every week, and it's really pretty evenly spread. You know, there might be some parts of a year where we do a little more tech or healthcare or construction or something, but it's really meant to bring people with that history and their experience to those companies. That's what we try to do. Can we get an exclusive here on the podcast? What is the next city that you guys are focused on? To open an office, I like if you if you disclose. So the the city that we just made a move on was Charlotte. Oh, okay. Speaking we just of hired, banks, hired a great guy to be there. <laughs> Speaking of and, banks, right, uh, right, right. Yeah. So um, yeah, full disclosure. I I tried two years ago to get that going and it didn't work. I picked the wrong people, mm-hmm. and then we we just kind of let it go. But 
yeah, we're just looking for who we believe is the right person. And we're excited to do that. So you, looking forward to continuing to grow all through the East. Do you have a presence in, in Miami or anywhere in Florida at this point? Yeah. So we have five offices in Florida. So Fort Lauderdale, Miami, mm-hmm. Tampa, Orlando, and Jacksonville. Nice spread. So it all, all this growth hasn't been linear. So you, you mentioned that some of the mistakes along the way, how do you know when someone's, you know, not a fit and what do you do? Well, so what I, what I really have done is we've gotten pretty into the weeds on our metrics. So if you say, Hey, what is success? Success is a client that you build and they pay you. Well, if someone's not willing to do the activity to find clients, not everybody has a has an accounting challenge today, but every every business has to do accounting. And so how do we find those people that are facing some challenges today? Will they do that activity? Are they successful at that activity? We really try and coach them as we watch those those detailed metrics. And then it usually it's a mutual conclusion if it's not going to work. And we'll usually give people, uh, salespeople, we ramp them four to six months to see if they'll work. Leadership, we ramp longer than that mm-hmm. to see. But there's a barrier here in that we're hiring technical people and technical people weren't necessarily born to be salespeople. Right. And so sometimes even the most wonderful, great people just can't really do it on the other, on the sales side. And that's okay. Right. That's okay. Better to identify the, the issue early and, and address it earlier. It sounds like you're doing that with success as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, they say fail fast when you, when you make decisions and unfortunately, or fortunately, you, you probably should take that approach with people. And it doesn't mean they're a bad person. I want to be really clear about that. They're not a bad human being. They just may not fit in your organization. And if they don't fit, they're not happy. They know that. It's sometimes just getting everybody to sit at the table and admit that maybe it's not a great fit. Right. And everyone can get better at that. We, I've made a lot of mistakes by not being, not being well, I, I just need to be better at, at helping them understand that. And we've grown a lot on that that coaching, advising them. It's like, hey, we want you to win, but you got to hit these metrics. Right, yeah. Wow, well, it's really impressive, Jim. I really love the company that you've built and kudos to you and uh, looking forward to talking again when you have 100 locations covering all of the U.S. <laughs> Are you anywhere outside the country? No, all U.S., right? What's that? It's all U.S., right? We do have, so we build data warehouses for companies. So we do have some developers that are offshore. And the reason we do that is that's how you become competitive in that development world because they're really programmers and those kinds of things. But yeah, the majority of the people are in the U.S. And um, look, I'm, I'm just very blessed. I think my timing was good. I kept my head down, was willing to work. I really... Look, I'm not the smartest guy, not even close, but if you put the time in and really work to solve problems and and do that, I believe almost anybody can succeed. I mean, we live in a wonderful country that the doors are open and that doesn't mean it's for everyone. I mean, running a business is hard. Cash flow is scary. There's been a lot of sleepless nights, but, you know, the good Lord has blessed us and and, uh, we're just going to continue on. Anybody that's having a rough day, like I, I wish they would call me because 
I've been through the rough days. I might be having a rough day that same day, but let's talk through it. I, I mean, love it. I love it's, it. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. It'll, it'll come around. Yeah. We always talk about that, that there's no sort of life hack for hard work. You got to put in the time, you got to put in the work. And like you said, though, it's hard. There are days that it's hard. It's hard as a business owner. It's hard as a, just somebody who comes to work every day. There's things that happen in your life. There's things that happen in your business that's just tough. But I love your mindset. I think it's great. Fantastic. Yeah, it really shows why you're successful. Thank, thanks, well, Jim. You guys, thanks. you guys are generous. We're just working and I'm surrounded by a lot of wonderful, hardworking, smart people. Good for you. And uh, if, we can, if we can make a difference for our clients and we talk about, hey, build them just enough so there's a little left over, but don't get crazy about it and let's, let's just make it happen. Fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're fortunate to be able to make a living helping other people. So if you enjoyed this show, please subscribe, share the show with your friends and colleagues, and leave us a five-star review if you're so inclined. Subscribing to the show and leaving reviews helps other people find the show and helps us produce better content, helps keep Mr. Amron and Mr. Bast and Mr. Rosada happy. Nelson, thank you. Thank you, Nelson. Jim, thanks. Thanks, thanks Jim. for coming. Honored to be here with you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jeff. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.com.